0: The Bane Free Radio Hour.
1: On the podcast, note to homicidal maniacs when stalking victims on Pluto, cover up the methane footprint you leave with a thin scattering of Blarney and obfuscating Shinola. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's Son of the Black Sword. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor Tony Daniel. This time we talk with Sharon Lee and Steve Miller about the latest addition to the Leaden Universe series, Accepting the Lance. Plus, we are joined on the podcast by Bain publisher Tony Weisskopf. We discuss the book, The Lee Aiden Universe, and the fact that the next Lee Aiden Universe novel is also turned in, and will be appearing next year. It's fun conversation. And we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Larry Correa's great high fantasy novel, Son of the Black Sword. Now here's the news. We have new fiction at the Bain.com website. This one is called Next Giant Leap by Patrick Childs. This is a story that is a prequel to Patrick Childs' upcoming novel Frozen Orbit, out in January. Footprints on other worlds. The story of the space race is a well-known one. The United States and the USSR locked in Cold War battle to see which side would advance into space the fastest. Despite early victories by the Soviets, America landed a man on the moon first. And though space exploration continues to this day, the moon landing remains the high-water mark of manned spaceflight. That's the story we know. But what of cosmonaut Vladimir Vashenko? Though not listed in any history book, his mission would have far-reaching implications were it ever known. Next Giant Leap by Patrick Childs is now up to read for free at Bain.com and will be perpetually available in the free short story collection, Free Stories 2019, which you can get as a download at Bain.com. So add some hard science fiction goodness to your holidays and check it out.
2: I want to welcome Sharon Lee and Steve Miller to the podcast, as well as Bane publisher Tony Weisskopf. Hello, folks.
3: Hello, Tony. Hi there.
2: Maine-based writers Sharon Lee and Steve Miller teamed up in the late 1980s to bring the world the story of Kinzel, an inept wizard with a love of cats, a thirst for justice, and a staff of true power. Since then, the husband and wife have, that is Sharon and Steve, <laughs> Uh, have written dozens of short stories and 20-plus novels, most set in their star-spanning Leiden Universe series. Before before settling down to the serene and stable life of a science fiction and fantasy writer, Steve was a traveling poet, a rock band reviewer, reporter, and editor of a string of community newspapers. Sharon, less adventurous, she says, perhaps, has been an advertising copywriter, copy editor on... uh, nightside news at a small city newspaper reporter photographer and book reviewer both credit their newspaper experiences with teaching them the finer points of collaboration which they have been doing uh very effectively for quite some time now sharon and steve passionately believe that reading fiction ought to be fun and that stories are entertainment steve and sharon maintain a web presence at corville.com where you can find a lot more about all the stuff we're about to talk about um out now at booksellers everywhere is Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's new Leyden Universe novel, *Accepting the Lance*. Um, well, uh, let's sort of set the scene before we uh, dive into the book a little bit, and perhaps talk about um, where we are in Leyden Universe and the Leyden Universe timeline. Uh, maybe mention what's gone on in Sherbleek and where clan Corval finds itself.
3: We should, we should reassure readers that uh, this is not the last Leaden novel.
2: Okay. <laughs>
4: yes, You need to do
3: that often.
2: Yeah. Well, let's start with process then and and say, all right, so, what what is is there a controversy over this? There what is, is yes. Explain this so we can immediately <laughs> address
3: it. <laughs> we are responding to uh, to reader uh, worries that uh, that this might be the 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 last Everly Aiden novel, which confuses me because I've already read the next one. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people have decided that since. The real
4: storyline, which is the conflict with the Department of the Interior, this is me extrapolating. I don't know that this is... Since, since it's... But since it's gotten um, a, a fitting conclusion that this must be the last book because all the rest of the things we've been talking about somehow aren't storylines. I don't know. <laughs> um,
5: and we, uh, we do have... Uh, <clears throat> pardon me. We do have some readers who uh, I, I think they... They get on an adrenaline high when a new book comes out. They read it very rapidly, and they figure, this must be it.
4: This is the last one.
5: Because they they can't see in the glow of having finished the the book. They can't see where it can possibly go further. Uh, They forget until three weeks or a month later. Oh, wait a minute. You know, this line is not finished yet, and whatever happened to...
4: And this is a fair division of labor, because that's why we're writing them and they're reading them um they they don't need to know where it goes from here, but yeah we're we're working we still have four books, two Jeff well Trader sleep with yeah. Trader Sleep, which, which tody has already read, and two jeffrey books, and then two more books so
3: that's that's a lot that's
2: a lot, so what is the next one's title by the way? I think it's on this fall schedule.
3: Yeah, trader, traders leap.
2: Traders leap.
3: T T R A D E R. Oh. Yes.
2: As in Star Trek. Well, clearly, since we have it, it it will come out. So, barring the end of the universe, uh, do you think maybe that readers, I I don't want to give any spoilers away, but there's sort of a resounding defeat of the Department of uh, what is it, Department of the Interior immunity, the bad guys. Yeah in Accepting the Lance, which is really cool. Um.
4: <laughs> we're
5: we're glad to hear hear you say that. And the the fact is is that even with what you have read already in Accepting the Lance, there are still loose Department of the Interior folks that need to be dealt with.
4: And which is why Trader's Leap and Accepting the Lance for a long time were one book because Sean is out in the trading universe being beset by these people who haven't gotten the orders that they should come home now and stop messing with things.
3: Oh, that must have been very hard, making this two books. It was awful. In in late
4: December last year, I went, you know what? This is two books, and we can only finish one of them. So we had to frog it, as Brenda Clough has taught me this very useful word from from knitting. We had to frog it and finish one book, which became Accepting the Lance. And frogging from knitting means you have to rip it, and that's why it's called frogging.
3: And thank you for not calling it Frogging the (laughs)
4: Lance. Where where did the title
3: come from? The title came from... A lapel,
4: lapel, let go move.
5: It the the title comes from very very early in the entire series.
4: No when, back, to agent
5: of <clears throat> back to agent of change, because there is a move in the uh, dance quote unquote dance that Valkan has learned from his clutch brother. Uh, the dance is lapakala, and one of the moves is called accepting the Lance. And that's what you do when the best way to take on your opponent is let him strike you.
4: Let him get in a strike and you keep moving.
5: And that's where Accepting the Lance came from.
3: Oh, that's great. That's great. That's
2: what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, uh, well... should we uh should we set things up a little bit though so that we are we're not talking around stuff that people that don't know the series won't uh know what we're talking about immediately. Um can you sort of give a a very brief uh brief idea of where we are, what's going on as the novel begins?
5: I I wish you I wish we were a live pod uh, video cast because you would see Expressions back and forth between us, like ah, uh. <laughs> okay. Uh, the universe to begin with is a uh, uh, an action adventure universe that has a lot of romance in it. And for people who have who are just encountering it now, it's not only a uh, romance kind of a thing, but we do a lot of uh, sneaky philosophical questions uh, within the within the storyline. And it started off with an agent of change in which a mercenary soldier, uh, an ex-mercenary soldier actually is cornered because of her trying to do her job and is uh, unexpectedly, on many parts, rescued by someone who is a secret agent uh, from another another world system. And one group is the Terrans. That would be the people cloaked. Most likely uh, approximating current Earth people, and then there's the Lyadians who are uh, most likely <laughs> most comparative likely. to Regency, Earth people,
4: Regency England, yes, uh, but um. from
5: with a different social background. And uh, the the story starts there and kind of wanders on through where you you begin to learn that the uh, the incident in which they uh, became involved uh, has a lot of background. They're they're not there by accident, and uh, they have families. They have uh, connections with other. Uh, the mercenary soldier obviously has connections with with mercenaries. The the
4: spy has a family. The spy
5: has a family, and it's a trading family, and it's a very important trading family. <clears throat> Thus we set up interstellar trade. Thus we set up interstellar uh, conflict and espionage, and the uh, combination of the uh, the personal, with the more uh, more obvious military and and uh, uh, business conflicts come come in together and there 's a lot of interplay between what the people want to do and what they have to do
4: and just immediately preceding accepting the lamp, um, the people that we most deal with <clears throat> um is a leaguegan clan called clan Corval who are um slightly out of control. They're they're much more adventurous than most Liaiden clans and most Liaiden people. And they have gotten themselves into a real pickle because um honor demanded that they defend the that they defend their homeworld by <clears throat> blowing a hole in it to take out a secret enemy base. And for for this good work, um they've been thrown off the homeworld and they've had to reestablish themselves on a much less um Pleasant world. Um, a world called um accurately enough, Surebleek.
5: <laughs> and the the combination of the these combinations run together with uh our mercenary soldier. Remember her? Uh <laughs> Miri from the first book <clears throat> having a background on this on this planet called Shorbleek. And um suddenly the relationships between uh the cultures. Between the cultures becomes very complex.
4: Because Sherblake is a quote-unquote Terran world, and it is not only a Terran world, it's kind of a low-class Terran world. Liadans <clears throat> believe in the mm. sanctity of the contract and one's word of honor, and mm. Sherblakeans kind of believe in it's easier to get um, forgiveness than permission.
5: And you don't even need permission if you can get away with it.
2: <laughs> so this is, the novel takes place for the most part, although there's, there's on the, the world of Sherblake, um, where Clan Corval is relocated. And uh, the head of Clan Corval um, is, is sort of jointly shared between uh, Val Cagnes Phelan uh, and Miri Robertson, who are married now, um, right? Um, and, and they also are um, concurrently the boss, uh, the sort of uh, the road boss, they call them, of um of a portion of the of the uh, of the world and sort of the the don, the mafia dons of of the various other uh, families. And Sherbleak itself is a world that has been gutted by a mining company and then all these people that are there are the descendants of the the folks the mining company abandoned when they left, right? It's something like that.
4: They they um this, this is- <clears throat> You should excuse the expression. The suits decided to save themselves, but they didn't want their bottom line to suffer. So instead of transporting everybody out when the umbrella company told them to desert Shorblik and go someplace else, they just took higher levels of management and stuff and they left all the workers um, on Shorblik. And that way they showed a profit on the uh, on, on the enterprise rather mm-hmm. than being in the red and having to answer for that.
5: And then the the folks who got left behind <clears throat> had to uh, work within the what was the existing culture of the, the uh, of the company culture, and uh, as things went downhill, uh, there there became things like there was one large road, and then there were a lot of people who had territories off of that road who had been lower level managers, and they trying to control their areas. And they ended up with... Uh... Uh,
4: and cost-effectiveness is very important. So they set up toll booths so that if you pass from one department head's territory to another department head's territory, um, you <clears> had to pay a toll, obviously. Um, and that kept, that got in the way of goods getting to the port, and so the port downgraded. What Balcon and Mary have been hired by the Council of Sherblake to do as road boss is to keep the road open. Nobody charges toll. The road is open for everyone to use. For going for goods coming from the port and for goods going into the port
2: so that's uh, one of the conflicts is that you've got this uh, this world that's still trying to figure out how to govern itself the other is that um, it is trying to fit into the uh, into the galactic economy as it were and there's this um, there's this group who are what are they called? The uh, the Terra Trade Survey Team, right? Who are going to approve whether they get to be a real port or not within the Terran Empire? Um,
4: well, within the trading empire, yeah. Uh
2: yeah. There we go. Yeah, it's
5: <clears throat> the the complexity. Uh, there, there's a the number of levels of complexity there. Part of it is that having a an approval from Terra Trade means we'll that upgrade
4: those, the port. they
5: they will upgrade if they upgrade the port that means that they'll get larger ships, uh more Im- more important ships and that they will be put on the schedule. If they are not put on a schedule, then people will likely be warned away because after all, Corval was banished to this world in effect for breaking open a world for for breaking open a world and for events that have happened in other b- books. They've been accused of piracy, uh et, et cetera. Uh, we don't want to give all the background story away there, but uh because of that if if Corval is seen to be in charge of this planet and the and the port uh, people will be warned away from the port so this is a very uh a very important thing for the entire future of the of the of planet the and the trading clan that Corval also is mm. Mm-hmm.
2: And you've got the Department of the Interior after them, um, trying to exact their revenge. And you have the the fact that the planet is unstable and uh, might break apart because that's the reason the miner, the mining company, did that, I suppose. And and we have our old friend the Clutch Turtles um, taking part once again in it. In and they're they're some of my favorite aliens ever.
4: Well, the clutch turtles the clutch <clears> live <throat> a long time, and so their idea of when something is unstable and in an emergency situation varies um, quite a lot from a human being's um, understanding of when we might need to do something um, about this, this imminent disaster in how many thousand years was <laughs> 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 it? Like, um, so, yes, the planet is suffers from having been honeycombed, but um, it's not... In imminent danger.
5: It, it, it's not in danger in six weeks. Yeah, but it is still something that uh, ought to be taken care of.
4: <clears throat> and since Valcon has has ties with the Clutch, um, and they have sent an expert to actually do an assessment of the planet and figure out a, a, how many Clutch workmen need to come to fix this problem. This this terrible emergency problem. Um, so there's there's this other difficulty, not only territory thinking that this society is um, unstable, but the clutch believing that the physical planet is unstable. And all of this falls on the heads of the dome of Corval, um, because <laughs> there are those who thought a good idea to blow a hole in a planet. <laughs>
2: So that's kind of the that's kind of the larger issues that are the conflict in the story. Um, maybe I, I don't know if you want to jump in, Tony, but we could talk about the characters a bit, um, especially Valcon and Mary, who are sort of the center of a vast web of of Leiden universe characters that we've all come to know and love, like Theo and uh, and Dav, and, and there's just so many.
3: Well, I, I I think you know, part part of on and 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 these guys in particular is is seeing the story of um, you know what happens after after happily ever after, um, you know these these guys have found their their soulmates their you know their 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 second selves, and they still have to get up in the morning and go to the office and deal with the, the politics and deal with the excited clutch turtles and and, uh, and, and sort of j- just just wa- watching, the, watching them do that and how they manage is, is fun. I think, that, you know, that, that's, par- that's part of the fun of this universe. Well, there's, there's kind of a dearth of stories about people who are always married folks. Um, yeah.
4: And we're old, we're old married folks, and we have to get up every morning. We we don't have a clutch turtle, but we do have a contact. Um, so yeah, we do. It, it's putting one foot in front of the other, but still respecting and being committed to your partner. It's a very important thing, um, and we don't talk about that enough in fiction, in my opinion.
5: So, <clears throat> and part of what what we get to do with the, those kind of interactions is we get to fall back towards the uh the the some of the fun that we get out of uh works. Well, like Georgette Heyer's works where she's dealing with uh I, I hate to say romance because people get the wrong Well,
4: yeah. They are romances, they and we've a happy ever after. Um, um
5: but also we get to play with the language and the uh the the Leiden languages and cultures and the conflict between the in, the interaction and the expectation of a uh, of a terran based which would be miri and how she grew up in a in a world where people could um just snatch you off the street uh to the Leden background where everything is
4: formal and uh I, and if we're missing a clan member, somebody is going to find out and be answerable. So um, there's a, a lot of, and and um, and, a, and a the of.
3: yeah, and the answers are going to be completely different.
4: <laughs> <clears throat> one of, one of the things that we're doing is because Valkan's family is so diverse. Um, Velkan's half sister is a product of a world where women are um, the reasoned and logical um, gender. And men are known to be hot tempered and um they don't think things out. a flighty yes. And Valkan is in his society, he's the elder brother, so he has some authority over Theo. Um and Theo is feeling kind of cranky because of all the things she didn't want to have to do in her life was to have a brother to look after. Um <laughs> Val is writing to Theo and saying, Theo, please, um, it's dangerous out there. Please come back home. And she has no compunction whatsoever about obeying this because it has nothing to do with her. And she's left him in the care of a very rational woman, his wife. Um, And there's really no reason for her her to do um, strong oversight at this point.
3: So they're coming at this relationship (laughs) from sixes
4: and sevens.
3: Yeah, Yeah, which, of course, is not at all how Val sees it.
4: (laughs) Right, he's trying hard, but you know.
5: <laughs> <clears throat> and there's a, there's an additional conflict there because in the Lyaden society, the Delm is the boss of the clan, and in, in some cases, this is a life or death position. He can say, "You will go do this to a clan member," and the clan member does it, and uh, it can be a life and death situation, uh, where Theo. <clears throat> who is his half-sister, has not been, quote-unquote, seen by the Delm. Yeah. She has not been recognized as a clan member, and she does not necessarily recognize... She recognizes herself as a sister, but not as a clan member. And so... And,
3: and meanwhile, their dad is just completely checked out. <laughs>
5: <clears throat> and so... That, you, which, right. which
4: you would also if you had these two kids. Um, <laughs>
5: <laughs> and so, so you got that... Those kind of... Uh, Cultural conflicts and just just the same kind of uh, conflict you can get between brother and sister anyway, um so yeah, and,
4: and Valcon writes a letter to Sean during the course of accepting the lamps, and he explains that theo has in fact come home to sherbleak and says, and i wouldn't have you think that it was because her brother asked her to she came home, she honored the family tradition, she came home because she was in a scrape. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> well at the beginning of the book Theo's in some trouble with the portmaster um, portmaster Lou um, quite a bit and Bechmo, her uh, sentient ship that she sort of bonded to um, maybe I mean you know Theo's she's the main character of some lead novels uh, what's going on with her in accepting the lands
4: um-
5: well we're we're in a we're in a strange spot here. We're we're uh two and a half books ahead of you and we have to sometimes cast our mind back way back. <laughs> See,
4: Theo came home in oh 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 neogenesis um because she was in a scrape and she figured Valcon could help her out of the scrape and she wasn't wrong in this. Um but she was pissed off at somebody and decided that <clears throat> the best way they had kind of a wager going um, whether who would arrive at Trubleek first, and the other pilot had dared to um, intimate that Bishimo was not going to be there first. Um, so Theo felt the, the need, and her crew agreed to make a point. So when they arrived, they just put little recording devices here and there um, in orbit saying, Hey there, Pilot X! We got here first.
5: And so when, when, that, <clears throat> when that ship arrived, they happened to be close enough to one of these devices. The net went off and said, ta-da, we
4: see you. Welcome. And it went off across the broad beam. So every ship heard it anywhere, on, anywhere around.
5: In the system. In
4: the system. And the portmaster heard it. And the portmaster realized there was an unauthorized um, device in her lanes. which is not a good thing. And mm. so
5: she had to um so she had to come down hard on um on people who would be so rude as to do this.
4: And the reason that she has to come down really hard on Theo is because TerraTrade, <clears> remember TerraTrade? The survey team is there and TerraTrade at least one of the survey team members believes that Sherblake should be um listed as a don't call port, which is it should put- be isolated. It yeah. should be isolated, which means the the planet will die. Um, because Corvall mm-hmm. is a resident on this port, they, they want it to be listed as a pirate port, basically. So the um, portmaster, instead of just reading um, Theo the Riot Act and finding her, has to not only um, throw the book at her, but also put a sanction on her license. Because mm-hmm. that's, that shows good, um, strong leadership. We don't put up with this crap. Even if you are... Part of Clan Corval,
5: and the problem is, is that Theo can't agree to being part of Clan Corval, but she can't deny being Valkon's sister. And this, um, <laughs> this is a, a hard point of view to, to get across to people.
3: The 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 way that all of this comes together is just really beautiful, uh, and, and an incredibly satisfying ending um, uh, for accepting the lance, um, which. Uh, tangentially brings us to um, the issue of AI uh, and th- 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 this is something that, that that's a problem for uh, science fiction writers because it's uh, the, the the potential of AI is so huge that it just changes everything you know we're talking about the singularity and things like that um, and and it's interesting how you guys have handled that in the Leiden world Um how has that evolved how has it
5: evolved yes Uh, how has that evolved you mean within within the universe that we're talking about or within our writings
3: well i I think within with just your thinking about ai from 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 the beginning because you guys started this along you know this this series and and the this the conception of this universe um you know a couple decades ago so so how how is your thinking about AI um changed since 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 you started this
4: well we first started out thinking that it would be kind kind of cool to have a robot butler and of course he would be named jeeves and right. what what better clan to have a robot butler than than Corball, the, the outlier. Um so that was just a piece of of the, the household. It's there, yeah, they had a butler. Their butler's a robot, hey, so what? Um, but then we got to thinking about it. And then we <laughs>
5: then we got to thinking about it. And one of the one of the points that came out very early is that um, <clears throat> as as we were working with it was that this in fact was a robot in a society that was already distrustful of AIs. Well, why were they distrustful? Well, because of the war. There had been wars in which AIs had been uh, uh, extremely um, potent and so potent that they had to be destroyed. And so AIs were uh, more or less banned.
4: And I'm not even sure. The complex logic laws yeah. popped up at one point of why we couldn't do something. And And I I remember (coughs) writing. I remember writing this down, and then Steve went over the the thing, the um, typescript that night, as as we do. Um, And he said, "The complex logic laws. What are those?" And I went, "You know." Uh, And they weren't Asimov's laws. No, no.
5: And so we, but we frequently do build uh, build that way. The backstory filled itself in about uh, a great war, and in the way that such things happen with us. Uh when we're when we're writing the larger the larger threads, the novels, we sometimes come across ideas that need expansion and we expand them later and we we later did get into how Jeeves became yeah, really- how Jeeves became a member of the household. Uh and it wasn't easy and there was a lot of luck involved. But of course luck is a, a big part of the universe. And the
4: other thing mm-hmm. that the other thing that we do as writers is Steve alluded to it as, oh, there's these threads that um, need to be picked <coughs> up, but um, often it's that we are writing and we sort of litter the landscape with things like things that are needed, like Jeeves um, or the complex logic laws, and then when we go back to when we start another story, those nuggets are there for us to use, and you know why we can't do this? Oh, wait, the complex logic laws. Oh, but... Wait a minute, why? (laughs) Um, Okay, the war, and of course, even though the AIs were fighting for human masters, um, we will ban not human masters, of course, but AIs, because they did the damage. Okay, now we Mm -hmm. have this this set of laws, but we've already created ships that are self-aware, and some of them went into hiding. We didn't get them all. There's no way we could have got them all. And now we have a situation. Capital, capital right? S is Yes,
1: a,
5: a large, a large capital situation. <clears throat> and we, this is not the first. The, the AI are not is not the first example of, of the way we, do work out from an expanse from a from a small point in the story, and and build it and build it and uh, build it over time because, uh, like the characters, we we try to let the universe tell us who it is and where it is rather than trying to push it into a a a, a bin i was on a panel in uh, boscone at, at boscone a few years ago with some uh, i was lucky to be there very heavyweight writers and they were explaining about one one of them had a a, a helper who keeps track of her storyline and maintains all her databases of her storylines and while we were discussing it, the point came up about well, that means you find yourself in a spot where you say, I can't go in this direction because that's not in the canon. And mm-hmm. we've been lucky because we don't have
4: we don't have a canon.
5: <laughs> we we there is there is a canon, but it's it's got room for expansion rather than rather than being a net. And um, that the AI the stuff we've done with the AI is, is part of that.
4: Well and the Liaison universe started up being freewheeling anyhow. I mean why the heck we can't we have robots? And I've been on any number of panels proving that you can't have interstellar trade. Um, you know, well <laughs> but for the story we'll have interstellar trade. Why not? Um so right. it we haven't we haven't um really oops, yeah it's space opera outside this the space opera box at some people <clears throat> some people want to insist it's there you can't have you can't have sentient aliens why not we 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 have sentinelians, aliens, and we'll play with them um basically yeah. we wanted we wanted to play um so that's that's what we're
5: doing and, we're and uh very early on and uh Sharon has been quoted on this a number of times what we said when we started. If this isn't fun, if we can't have fun with this, we won't do it.
3: Uh-huh. 20,
4: Twenty-three books down, we're still having fun. We're
5: still having fun. And sometimes uh-huh. we giggle. And sometimes <laughs> people will come up to us. We will have people come up to us and said, I was re rereading this book, and I just found this. Did you know what you did here? Well, yes, I did know what I did there. I know why... I, I kn- uh we we put nuggets or what are, what are they called? Easter, Easter eggs, Easter eggs
4: yeah.
5: from the various stories because Sharon and I grew up on science fiction. We've read many, many, many of the original uh the classics. The the classics and not only the classics but the sci fi classics and the so we come from the background of Heinlein and Andre Norton and uh David Keller for God's sake. And um <laughs> so we, we have a lot of background. Tony laughed at that one, but really, we did. We read them.
3: <laughs> they were there. He was. He was one of the science fiction doctors, right? He he, he did doctor stories. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't remember him, but I do remember the stories. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for my part, as 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 a you know, someone who came from science fiction fandom, I appreciate things like the Norbear named Hevelin, for instance. Yeah.
2: Well, there's a few other. Um... There's a few other plot threads and people that that um play significant roles in accepting the lance um maybe mention a, a couple of those um what about the couple that you've youthened as you say the youthening <laughs> of' uh, is dav right and the woman that was sort of inside him for you maybe explain that
5: once upon a what once upon a time we had a decision that uh, the universe, as it had been, wasn't in as an agent of change.
4: In Agent of Change, Balcon explains to Miri what happened to his father and his mother. And in so much as when it's published, that is when it's written in stone. We were stuck with that. <laughs>
5: and uh, we also had the the situation that Balcon and Miri, having uh, come across each other, and as uh, Tony had alluded to a little uh, a little earlier, found their second selves uh, that they were actually uh, caught psychically linked, and that that psychic linking had a name called life mating.
4: And this is something that established itself oh um, around about Carpe Diem. We knew Valcon and Mary had found each other, and that they were meant for each other, um, but we hadn't. Understood that there was a mechanism in in the universe that would allow for this, which was not necessarily Corvo's luck because we hadn't done Corvo's luck yet.
5: No, we hadn't gotten there yet, but there is a mechanism. And uh, Dav and Aliana uh, met. Aliana got herself off of, off of Liad. This is one of the things Liad, uh, the the Corvo clan had been after for years. She managed to get herself off of uh, essentially off of Liad. And then uh, she had the uh, speed and and nerve to step in front of a bullet meant for her for her, her life, life mate. mate. And uh, when she died, she didn't entirely go away. Her consciousness was not because of this bond between them. Uh, she didn't she didn't die. She
4: it took up residence in, in what we have to assume is the um, vast endless real estate that was um, available in Bob's head. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and in any case, so the the euthening the the, the uh, again becomes some it becomes it part not, of a twisty thread that goes back to a, a character named the Uncle. And
4: we haven't un- even thought of the Uncle yet when we, we wrote this.
5: Whoa. <laughs> we had. Well, the the uncle um, because we needed. Hmm, how do I do this? When when the very first time we set we we looked at the possible idea of writing a novel called Agent of Change, we sat down and we
4: which was called Balcon and Miriam Marks. Yeah, um,
5: we we sat down and we talked about it at the, that night at a, at the dinner table and. Then we talked through the night, finished a bottle or two, uh, got up in the morning, and we had outlined seven books, which were to be the original Agent of Change series. But at that point, even at that point, we knew that there was at least one story before and possibly a few more. And those stories eventually got written.
4: You know those stories which are now the crystal books or the blue book and the red book the blue book and the yellow book, um as one bookseller told us um the crystal books we tried like four times to to write There were all kinds of starts around here um and we finally and this is a situation you say writers say, "Oh, I wasn't old enough to write that book, but this was an actual chronological we didn't understand until we were in our forties what it meant really to be middle-aged and having fought your entire life and you know you're going to lose. And
5: that's yeah. part of what happened in the Crystal Books. <clears throat> and the Crystal Books are part of the background that actually feeds into the entire later expansion and understanding of what it is to be life-mated. And uh, the uncle who appears in the in the Crystal Books and then in later uh, in Balance of Trade and other, other books... Uh, the uncle brought with him the technology that permitted uh, a re-em- re-embodiment, let's call it. And uh, again, we tried not to be flip about these possibilities and tried to look at them uh, not from necessarily scientifically, but uh, philosophically.
4: Well, from the science fiction standpoint, what if we could do this? And uh, yeah.
5: so so so, Dav and Aliana do make a. Uh, do make a return after both of them have suffered um, tremendous harm.
4: Tremendous harm and, and Dov, yeah. Dog yeah. was Dov was dying, Aliana was dead. I mean how how much worse can it get? Um and now our young cousins um, are back
2: trying to get their scout license or <laughs> pilot license.
4: <laughs> no, they're pilot license. Um. They want to be courier. They want to go back to being couriers.
3: Well, they have to get paper again. You know, they're they they you know they they exist, but but and you know and until we get the red tape taken care of, it's a problem. And the, and the dome has has said, okay, we can construct we can construct citizenship papers for you. I
4: mean, we're old hands at this. We, we can make you real, but you will test. You will test as pilots, and whatever you test, that that's what your license is going to be. If you test this third class, that's it
5: we we can't give you that you've got to be able to do what you what what your license actually says so uh there there's a an awful lot of what we do depends on the regency under in effect the regency understandings uh the uh the regency idea of you are who you really are and if you um if you act out of that out of that range you know you you shouldn't you, you you can't just say, My name is this and and get by with it.
4: And I am the Duke of Mumbo pace No, you, there's yeah. gotta be a Mumbo <laughs> No, don't
5: do uh-huh. just-
2: I mean, well that's what's so cool about uh Clan Corval and, and the whole Liade and the the whole system is it really is um a group of people who have who have adopted on an interstellar basis this this sort of I don't know, nineteenth century uh European uh nobility ideal of itself and they they live they try to live up to it.
4: The the Leiden universe the Lia's um actually owe a lot to um George J. Harris Recency romances, um which translates so well into a science fictional um universe that it's almost scary.
5: And we have to, we do have to admit <clears throat> we we do have to admit that one of the uh, series that Sharon and I had both read independently before we before we met moved in with each other, and both had enjoyed and both had gone out saying where the heck's the next one, was Alexei um,
4: oh yes
5: Alexei Panchin's uh, what was the, the Tony the, Villiers the the Anthony Villiers series, which was yeah. also kind of. Straight from the Regency,
4: yeah.
5: and uh, it was a um
4: so the idea was not original with us actually
5: um but but he was he was doing it, I think he was doing it for fun, and he got three books in, and then realized he had written himself into so many corners that there wasn't an easy way out, and what we've been able to do is by not writing as closely to the to the uh
4: the well, uh, thread.
5: Uh, the, to the uh, regency he was, thread. He was
4: doing the surface. He was doing yeah. the clothes and, the, and the, the gaming hells, and the. He was skimming, sort of, and in order to get seven books rather than than three books, you got to go deeper. And by the time Tony got, um, by the time Tony was a wonder or a marvel, um, he he couldn't go any deeper.
5: Yeah, we so we were, but we had we had that background before before us, uh, the same way. Uh Ann, Ann McCaffrey had read our books and, and enjoyed them greatly. Anne was a, a fan and she was for a while for, for several books. She was a
4: uh this was our beta reader.
5: A beta reader. Uh <laughs> she she was before us. She was before us too. Um so we had Andre Norton, um, who we had corresponded with at, at several points, uh had had dealt with some of the same kind of issues, the psychic some of the psychic possibilities
4: and the forerunners.
5: And the forerunners. Uh, so mm. you know, we we didn't invent this out of the whole cloth, but boy, we we got a, a running start at what we needed from what the other people no, had done.
3: No, we have a very rich universe. And 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 you certainly made it your own. I mean, it, 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 these are certainly inspirations, but 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 none of these things are you. You just you just took somebody else's system and applied it to tell your stories. Your your system and and your your interpretation is 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 unique, um, and uh, and and I think I think fun for that.
2: Just agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, what else can we say about uh, accepting the last that we we might, or what's going on now with the uh, alien universe? Your other work,
4: I I am doing doing the revisions for Trader's Leap as per Tony. Um, it's going slowly since I'm still recovering from surgery, which I find out is an enterprise all in itself. I thought you could just they would say, okay, you can walk now and you can just go back to normal, but that turns out to not be so. Uh, so <laughs> no,
5: it, it <clears throat> the, the the process that we were that we've been going through recently um, among other things we came up, as we were writing the uh, the last several books actually back to um Genesis Genesis and and we kept coming up with characters on the side <clears throat> so we've written a couple of um novellas and and um short stories on the side which have been in some of the chapbooks and uh, we find those people creeping in uh oddly enough and and suddenly
4: they're they've got to keep in touch with the, with the home people
5: and s- suddenly those people thread their way into uh into the novels that that especially into um Trader's Leap yeah that's true.
3: Cool. this is probably a good time to this is probably a good time to mention the uh flow chart uh, <laughs> You want, you want to tell the, the listeners about the flowchart on Bain.com? At
2: where you can jump into the Leading Universe? Yes. Um, you can find that at the website, the Bain.com website. Um, you can also find these um, novellas and short stories that Sharon and Steve have written, including the one that supports uh, Accepting the Lance that just we just had up. Um, those are all available in the free stories. Uh, this one, t- free stories 2019 download. But these uh, the flowcharts we have... They are um, basically they they give you a little bit of a, an idea of of the lead novels and the stories and the novellas and everything that connects together and they give you a really good idea of how to um, of, of ways to get into this vast universe um, which um, can seem daunting but the thing is there's so many entryways into into this uh, series that a lot of series you need to start somewhere or another but this one you can really you can really jump into at certain points and um, and experience and just sort of spread out, um, and those can help you.
4: We did that like The um, short stories can are also collected in the Eden Universe Constellations One, Two, Three, and Four now, and we're working on five. Tony, <laughs> yay! <laughs> <laughs>
2: We need. And there's so much we could mention. You know, there's the the, Betel, the Udari, the uh, Boss Sherblake challenge. But um, maybe we could uh, close it out with a with a final thought about accepting the lance. The
5: thing with, I think the the thing for us with accepting the uh, accepting the lance, <clears throat> it wasn't the easiest book for us to work with, as Sharon had been pointing out, because we had had a lot going. And at the same time, we didn't think it would be fair to um, to the other Tony there, Tony Weisskopf, to turn in a three hundred thousand word book if she was expecting one hundred and twenty thousand words. Uh, mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and and also for for our regular readers who are at at this point are used to a particular.
4: Uh, it uh, has to be a length where they can sit down after supper and read it. And finish just as the alarm is going off, so they have to go to work.
5: Uh, yeah, and <laughs> and so to do that for some, to do that for some of the readers. So it really was, uh, it wasn't the easiest of the books uh, to write, especially in trying to make sure that we did not leave a thread that would be confusing. Right, and uh, there's
4: a lot of threads in this book. There are there, there are a lot of things happening,
5: and it does in fact co- collect. a a great deal of the um, previous storyline and bring a number of the storylines together, but it is not by any means an end to all of the threads or all of the stories.
4: No, because, you know, people's lives keep going on. Corval still needs to finish settling um, on Sherblatt. Sherblatt needs to um, accommodate itself to Corval. Uh, the future is still in the future. People are still moving.
5: And Theo is still out there, so you can't oh be my done
4: God. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Theo is still out there and we've hardly mentioned her at all. Uh and she gets up to some, some interesting trouble in this in this one. So um well, she there, there are, to get
4: into trouble obviously.
5: And and so there's there there are so many threads and one of the fun things for us is that when we, we go to conventions and a lot of times we'll have a chance to sit down at a At a coffee clutch where you sit around with ten or twelve uh, fans and they all ask you questions and we we can be talking about the same book and have seven different people say, "My favorite character in this book is and it's not the same character We can have people have five six uh different favorite characters out of a book, so I guess we're 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 hitting it right because people do fall in fall in like at least if not further uh, with the characters and we get to we we get to play. So um what's What what's not to like?
3: Yeah, I, I just want to say that that as an editor and as a reader, I appreciate you guys going to the trouble to take these uh to take these books and turn them into two books. Um that two completely and utterly satisfying books. Uh, because it would have been easier to just leave it as one giant 300,000 word thing but you didn't and uh, uh, yeah and uh, you you took into consideration the readers' expectations um and and I think you gave them what it was that um was going to make them happiest and I just I really really appreciate you doing that
4: Oh thank you. Thank you. That makes it it, it was hard as you know. Um but it makes it it makes it better. And, and Trader's Leap, we were able to do things that had it been part of a bigger book, we wouldn't have been able to do.
3: Yeah. And uh, and, you know, not to get, uh, you know, to rub it in too much, but it's just it's so much fun. You guys are going to really enjoy that, too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the book out right now, at Booksellers Everywhere, is Accepting the Lance by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, um, Sharon and Steve and Tony. Thank you all so much for being on the podcast today and talking about accepting the Lance
3: Thank you.
5: Thank you. Thank you.
3: And a reminder that this is a lovely uh, winter holiday gift. Hell yeah! <laughs> well, a great gift!
5: Avail- available in audio, ebook, and hardback.
3: Yes, indeed. <laughs>
1: Now we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Son of the Black Sword by Larry Correa, Book 1 in the Saga of the Forgotten Warrior. After the War of the Gods, the demons were cast out and fell to the world. Mankind was nearly eradicated by the seemingly unstoppable beasts. Until the gods sent the great hero Ram Rowan to save them, he united the tribes, gave them magic, and drove the demons into the sea. But as centuries passed, the descendants of the great hero grew in number and power. They became tyrannical and cruel, and their religion nothing but an excuse for greed. The people rose up, and the surviving royalty and their priests were made castless, condemned to live as untouchables. The age of law had begun. Ashok Vidal has been chosen by a powerful ancient weapon to be its bearer. He is a protector a member of an ancient military order of roving law enforcers. No one is more merciless in rooting out those who secretly practice the old ways as Ashok. But Ashok isn't who he thinks he is. And when he finds himself on the wrong side of the law, the consequences lead to rebellion, war, and perhaps transformation. Now here is the latest entry in Larry Correa's Son of the Black Sword.
0: Ashok accepted the hit and kept pushing. It took more than that to rattle a protector's brain. They were too close. Neither could get their swords in, so instead Ashok swung his shield, turning it and slamming the edge into Nadan's helmet. That staggered him. He kept swinging, hitting him over and over. A deer antler snapped off and flew into the air. The steel deformed. But with a hiss, Nadan brought his sword up and the flat caught Ashok in the chest. Ashok fell, sliding and rolling down the bridge, not stopping until he hit the warm softness of a corpse. The air filling his lungs tasted like fire and blood, but Ashok sprang right back up. His shield was nothing but useless splinters dangling from frayed straps, so he flung it away. nadon was coming down the bridge toward him, Massive sword cleaving downward, and at the last instant Ashok noticed that the right side of Nadan's helmet had been so deformed by the repeated shield strikes that one eye slit had been crushed nearly closed. Ashok flung himself that way as the executioner's blade cleaved the dead Somsack soldier in half. Nadan tried to turn, but Ashok was already circling on his blind side, looking for a vulnerable point. Finding a narrow gap at the waist, Ashok struck. And Gruvadal hit cleanly between the plates, and he pulled it into the cut with all his might, letting the black steel edge eat its way through. Mail and quilting split, and the ancestor blade bit deep into the flesh beneath. Nadan let out an inhuman shriek. The huge shield flew around and hit him. It was like being rammed by an elephant, and the blow knocked Ashok clear back to the bottom of the castless side of the bridge. He lay there for just a moment, figuring out which muscles had torn and which bones had cracked, but knowing it was worth it since he'd struck a mortal blow. You couldn't cut up as many men as Ashok had without gaining nearly a surgeon's knowledge of anatomy. He was certain he'd just sliced Nadan Somsak's kidney in half. But the warrior was still up and coming his way fast. He rolled out of the way as the giant sword smashed more of the bridge into dust. Naden should have been dying, but he wasn't even slowing. If anything, he was moving even faster than before. Just as the heart of the mountain kept him alive, the demon's tongue must have been doing the same for Naden. Since Angruvadal had battered his shield into deformed scrap, the demon man threw it down in disgust and took up his huge sword in both hands. Getting to his feet, Ashok was barely able to stay ahead of Nadan's blade. Blood and something else was pouring out of the terrible wound in Nadan's side. There were two streams, one red and the other white as milk, almost as if there were two separate beings living inside the Thakur's armor. Gritting his teeth, Ashok vowed to destroy them both. They were on the castler's side now, Ashok backed away slowly as Nadan stalked him. The warriors were following them across, eager to see their house regain its former greatness. Ashok hadn't been exaggerating when he'd spoken of their courage and dedication. They may have been brutes, but they had honor of a sort. The Somsak deserved to know the truth before it was too late. You want to claim Angruvadal? Ashok spread his arms wide. Then this duel must be legal. Insufficient, Nadan hissed. I grant you nothing. Not for me. This duel is unfair to you. Your vision is impaired. I'll wait while you take your helmet off. Nadan may have been a hot-headed fool, but he wasn't stupid. Either he knew drawing on the demon's power was twisting his body into something else, or he at least suspected it enough not to take the chance. Nadan leapt forward, covering far more ground than even a protector could have at his best. And then the executioner's blade was flashing back and forth again, nearly too fast to follow. The combined instincts of fifty generations were the only thing that kept him alive— Faster and faster, the two foes moved, striking and countering, hitting with blows that would have snapped regular blades or left them bent and useless. Another mighty attack came flying downward. Unable to move in time, Ashok raised Angruvadal in both hands and intercepted it. The impact felt like it would rupture every joint in his body. They clashed and locked there. With the far stronger demon pushing hard, sliding Ashok across the ice, The black steel blade was shoved inexorably downward. If he faltered, he would die. And Gruvadal warned him of the incoming danger, but there was nothing he could have done, nowhere he could have moved to. So all he could do was grimace as the crossbow bolt embedded itself deep into his abdomen. Razor-sharp steel pierced his stomach. Asher gasped. Nadan saw it and laughed in his face. Excellent. Ashok had already killed too many of their brothers for all of the Somsak to be concerned about the sanctity of a duel. Several others launched their bolts as well, most missed, but another flew cleanly through his calf, severing strands of muscle and exiting in a fat shower of blood. His leg collapsed, useless beneath him, and Ashok fell. Nadan's sword embedded itself into the ground, inches from his head. Enough. The black heart's mine to kill, not yours. Rolling over, Ashok had to stick Gangruvadal into the ice so he could lever himself back to his feet. One knee kept buckling, so he balanced on one foot until the heart of the mountain forced the damaged muscles to work again. All of his strength was flowing out of his stomach. His extremities felt cold, clumsy, and dead. Nadan watched, mocking him, but Asha couldn't make out the words over the ringing in his ears. There was no crime greater than consorting with demons, and no army was that loyal to their champion. If he exposed Nadan's transgression in time, then Jarlang might be spared from the Somsacks further wrath. Desperate, Ashok made his decision. The sword warned him the risk was too great and that escape was still possible. Forgive me, Angruvadal. Let my death have some meaning, at least. He would do this one last thing to uphold the law and then go into the endless nothing, content. Are you certain? In all the years he had carried it, Even in the times when it had been his only companion, the sword had never used words before. I am, Ashok whispered past the blood spilling from his lips. Ready to die, Ashok slowly limped toward Nadan Somsak, intent on removing that helmet. He sincerely hoped that Thera and Kita had escaped, Omand and the judges would be so disappointed to hear that he'd not perished like a criminal, after all. Ashok peered into the black steel resting in his hand. My final hope is that your next bearer proves to be more worthy than I have been. Nadan Somsak saw him coming and laughed. They both knew this was the end. The army held its breath as their demonic champion lifted his sword in both hands. The executioner's blade flashed, but rather than avoid it, Ashok suddenly stepped into the killing arc, driving Angruvadal upward, directly into his opponent's helmet. Angruvadal exploded.
1: That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Son of the Black Sword by Larry Correa. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz, And presents and goodies from two universes colliding and creating excellent snacks, plus thanks and praise to Bain publisher Tony Weiskopf and to Sharon Lee and Steve Miller, authors of Accepting the Lance. Please join us next time here at the Hammering Heart of Science Fiction and Fantasy. And keep reaching for the stars.